I'm Royal Oaks. Next time on Too Many Lawyers, we take on a couple of villains to sort out whether bad stuff is also illegal stuff. George Santos won a seat in Congress by lying to voters, but is that a crime? And Kanye West made it clear he hates Jews. In England, he'd go to jail for that. Here in America, did he commit a hate crime? Listen to Too Many Lawyers on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. Kenny Florian. Oh my God. Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. I know we need a new show open, but I kind of like how it goes. Kenny Florian and then, oh my God, because I think that's the reaction <laughs> for a lot of people when they hear Kenny Florian. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I kind of like hearing Danny count us on the air. We need to do that more often. I was able to audibly hear that today. It put me in, in a good headspace. It is Monday November 5th, 2018. I've been drinking all morning. It is episode 178 of the Anakin Florian podcast. You know, I like New York City, I think, about as much as any Bostonian can. But I like leaving New York, too. It's nice to, to be back in South Florida. It wasn't, wasn't chilly at all up there, but it's just tight, man. I mean, it's just there are people everywhere. And they say people are, are leaving New York right now and that the real estate market has fallen on hard times, unlike Los Angeles and Boston. But it hmm. seems, Kenny, a lot of... A lot of people in New York City are flocking to Jersey or wherever else. I will say this week, it didn't seem like anybody was leaving the city. With the marathon and UFC 230, you could barely fucking move. Dude, so. it must have been absolutely packed over there. But uh, I like New York as well. But uh, You it, love New York. It's I a mean, night. You- it's, I do. I really do love New York. <laughs> but then again, I'm not like living there, right? I get to go. I enjoy myself. I do my thing. And then I leave. But there's a certain energy in that city, which is, which is kind of special. It's a, probably a chaotic energy. But for whatever reason, I feel like... I don't know, maybe like maybe you in a casino, for example. I just feel yeah, like there's an extra right. little pep in my step. No, and that's fair. And I feel that too. When I yeah. was traveling there once a month last year for the video game voiceovers, mm-hmm. I, I I started to envision a life with my family, my young right. children in New York because I fell so in love with it because I got to go for three days. Yes without the UFC road show and the circus and just go for three days and stay at the Viceroy by myself. And right. so I, I, I really started to enjoy it probably more than any kid from Boston ever but, should. But they probably don't win enough titles for you, though. That's the problem. Well, right, 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 right. <laughs> that, that is fair. We that just lost fair. all of our New York listeners. All right, I know, that's all good. one by one. We yeah, I lost guys. a lot of followers with my tweets about the Red Sox, but I'm not worried about that. But, yeah, we did st- sneak in a little dig on the broadcast. That we was said, so well, good. Well, no. No championship parades here this week, but the Octagon is in town and open for this. <laughs> so at least you have that. So I just have to say, and we're going to get to UFC 230 and Longo's coming up here in about seven minutes. But your daughter, True Florian, born in February, graced the mats at Rocky BJJ <laughs> this weekend. And I mean, just unbelievable visual for for all of us to finally see that. My wife even was like, did you see the picture of True on, on the mats in the, in the full gi? You know? Uh, that the best. That's got to be pretty cool for you. I know she's not rolling around. I mean, Dude. I know she's not walking yet unless she's setting world records. But to have her on the mats, man got to be fighting back the tears a little bit, I would think. My my heart was bursting out of my chest, dude. Just yeah, like, man. And so, like, I, I was there. I didn't know that she was going to stop by. So Clark just – Clark's mom was in town. My wife's mom was in town. And she stopped in with the baby and put her little gi on. And it was the man. best, dude. What a, what a nice little surprise. It was fun. So I had to do the picture thing with her on the mats. The first time her actually being on the mats with a gi – and, uh, yeah, I, I immediately envisioned her future. She will train. She has no choice. Right. She has well, no and I, I don't At think there's any. Yeah. 
I don't really think there's any argument against Brazilian jiu-jitsu unless she perpetually tells you she hates it, right? right? It seems like a lot of these other sports, there's a strong argument against because of injury or otherwise jiu-jitsu yeah. from a lifestyle standpoint and everything else. Uh, yeah. I wish my daughters would get into it, maybe right. someday. Mm-hmm. But man, you are just heart, you are just melting hearts nationwide. It was with so those fun. <laughs> uh, all right, so uh, let's get into UFC 230. And of course, we will get to Longo in a second. But Daniel Cormier over Derek Lewis, second round submission as you and our guest pick are both envisioned. I know you had to switch it up to the round one prediction. Yeah. Uh, and I hope we have time to talk about Derek Lewis and all of this because I, at least the part of the post-fight show I watched, I didn't see much criticism of the performance, and I, mm-hmm. I have a little bit. But right. as far as Daniel Cormier is concerned, there were a lot of things working against him in this fight. I know he made a bunch more life-changing money, and even though there was risk involved because he was fighting this massive, powerful heavyweight, certainly given the payday, you would expect DC would make the walk. Yeah. But... I think the confidence that he brings, and just like he texted me before the Vulcan Uzdemir fight, you know, I am going to kill this guy. And he texted me Thursday, like, I am going to fucking kill this guy. And he's just so confident that short notice or otherwise, 13 hours of media a day or otherwise, that he can go in there in front of the world and handle that pressure and handle this matchup, which obviously was very favorable to him. But I do still marvel at Daniel in victory, even though this was a fight on paper that maybe 98 times out of 100 he's supposed to win. Well, this just adds to the story uh, and the legend of Daniel Cormier uh, yet again. You know, here's a guy who is, you know, took the fight on short notice. His back is kind of against the wall already. Um, people kind of doubting, um, you know, where his mind state is at, maybe thinking that, he thought Derek Lewis really wasn't much of a challenge. And then uh, on fight on fight day, uh, him hurting his back, of course, said that he sneezed. He hurt, you know, felt his back go out. He wasn't sure whether he was going to be able to compete. And um, that's happened to me. It's an awful feeling. It's a scary feeling uh, not knowing, especially when you're primarily uh, your mode of attack is through grappling. So right, right. Um, this is a guy who, who really, um, you know, has tremendous wrestling. But if your back is bothering you, your body essentially just isn't working, and that's a 265-pound uh, fighter, maybe even heavier on fight night that you have to deal with. So, uh, must have been a little bit scary uh, for him. The fact that he was able to go out there, still compete, still execute, uh, really a perfect game plan, says a lot about Daniel Car- Daniel Cormier and who he is. Um, and you know, there was a lot on the line that night, and and I think yeah. that if he lost that belt, that would have been one of the biggest upsets in UFC history. Um, yeah. and, and it seemed he, he could have finished that fight in round one, actually. Uh, in my opinion, he had yes. some great opportunities to take the back of Derek Lewis. He seemed like he was a little hesitant, maybe feeling out his body, seeing exactly how he felt out there. Um, but he took his time, did exactly what he needed to do, and and really dominated Derek Lewis. It's interesting you talk about the back because we all remember October of 2017, Derek Lewis on fight day pulling out of the yes. fight against Fabricio Verdum. And, of course, he doesn't have to lean on the grap- grappling chops offensively, but defensively he does. And his back that day was so bad that he reluctantly had to pull out of the fight. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, man, I think you set it up well with Daniel. I think he could have won the fight in the first round. He didn't take any end on the any unnecessary risk in this fight. I think some people thought because he has fallen in love with his striking at times that maybe he would strike with Derek Lewis, but he wasn't going to do that. I was a little bit surprised with the outcome, and it seems as though I'm in the minority. And I just say that because I was surprised at how little 
we got from the other side, right? Now, I would agree with you that in retrospect, I would say, yes, had Derek Lewis won, I can now say, given what I saw Saturday night, it would have been one of the biggest upsets in UFC history. But when Derek Lewis made his UFC debut and filled out his UFC bio, he listed Hart as a strength. And obviously, it's been a huge strength for him throughout his UFC career. This mm-hmm. was his 16th UFC appearance. I just didn't see any urgency, Kenny. I didn't see him moving his feet at all, even though it's not like he's Dominic Cruz out there. Sure. I didn't see footwork. I didn't see urgency. I didn't see a focus in his eyes. And I didn't see that patented heart when the going got tough. So yeah. I, I, I want to spend more time on DC than I do Derek Lewis. But I just felt like given this opportunity and given what Derek Lewis could have done to change his life financially and otherwise, I don't know, man. I Call me crazy. And I think off the air. Maybe some people did after the fights, but I just expected more from Derek Lewis, and maybe I was ignorant uh, to have done that. Yeah, listen, I, I think that it, there's some aspects of truth to what you're saying. I, I think that he didn't do a great job of really moving his feet, uh, circling away from that pressure, getting away from the fence, uh, looking for ways to get back to his feet. It was kind of like he said, you know what, if I get taken down, the fight is over. My only chance is to try right. to keep this on the feet. Um, I was surprised also that he really wasn't trying to go to the body, at least trying to take away that level change from Daniel Cormier. Now, obviously, all of that is easier said than done. Daniel uh, knows how to faint his way in. He did a great job of getting into that clinch safely or getting in on those legs safely. Um, that's one of his strengths as a fighter. That's what makes him such an, an all-time great. But um, for Derek Lewis, you'd you think he would have been uh, – a little bit better prepared for something like that. And um, again, not like he had a, a ton of uh, time to prepare uh, for Daniel Cormier, but, um, you know, he he's a mixed martial artist now. Um, he's got to be, be prepared for those takedowns, be, be ready to sprawl and be ready to kind of circle away from that pressure at the very least. And we just didn't see that. Joe Rogan said to me after the fact, and maybe he said it on the air, but if Derek Lewis were to align with a camp like AKA and really commit himself and move to San Jose for four to six weeks and really invest in the career that maybe he could turn a corner. I'm just not sure that that's in Derek's future. I think he's very comfortable in Mm -hmm. Houston and certainly with Bob Perez and not to say he couldn't make a run when there's somebody that isn't Daniel Cormier as the heavyweight champion again, but I think this is an appreciable setback for Derek Lewis. As far as DC is concerned, Kenny, Just a lot of respect for the man, as you know, but just the skill, I think, was a bigger takeaway for me. You set up some of the stuff in terms of the fainting, but the wrestling is obviously Olympic level and off the charts. But the submission game, right, the offensive jujitsu knowledge, you know, when he's commentating, there are things that happen that he can't address the way somebody like you, a certifiable Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, can. But his understanding and application of jujitsu in an MMA setting at heavyweight is absolutely outstanding. And I understand that in one breath, I'm criticizing Lewis and maybe his ability to fight the choke. I think DC just deserves a lot of credit for his finishing ability. This guy, he submitted Anthony Rumble Johnson a couple yeah. times, and that rear naked choke is a big weapon for him and gives him a lot of confidence that once he does get the fight to the ground, you know, the finish can come pretty quickly thereafter. Uh, without a doubt. And, and, you know, we were talking about it on the broadcast in the post-fight show, and there is a huge difference between a guy who wrestled in high school, wrestled in college, was an All-American in college, was a national champion in college, and an Olympian. It's just a, a whole different world. Um, getting 
Olympic level experience, getting international experience against some of the best wrestlers in the world, it's totally different. And it sets you head and shoulders above everybody else. And for Daniel Cormier, there's just not a whole lot of wrestlers who are going to be able to uh, stop what he does. Um, you know, the fact that John Jones is able to do that and still be a threat with his striking is just phenomenal. It's really mind blowing when you look at how good those guys really are. Um, but other than that, there's just, you know, and, and again, that's what Ben Askren is going to have as, as um, an advantage heading into this. Henry Cejudo, right. those are things that they can always rely on, that they know they will always be much better. They can, If they want, they can always take that fight to the ground. And for Daniel Cormier, that's always going to be in his back pocket, even if he has a bad back. All right, we'll have more on Daniel Cormier coming up later in terms of his place all time in the heavyweight division and his place in the 2018 Fighter of the Year conversation. But it is now time for the Ray Longo Minute. Let's get to it. It's now time for the Ray Longo Minute. I want you to punch a hole in this fucking chest. That's what I want. The Ray Longo Minute. Starring Ray Longo. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. And the great Ray Longo classy as ever to join us on what I'd imagine is a pretty difficult Monday morning, my man. If you didn't see the fights this weekend, an epic clash, as many expected, between Jacare Souza and Chris Weidman. It was contested on the feet. Uh, Weidman won most of this fight before eventually getting knocked out in the third round, Ray. And uh, I know you liked a lot of what you see. I know you couldn't be more proud of an athlete than you are, Chris. But if I'm being honest with our listeners, when I looked in the octagon and saw you, man, I've, I've never seen you look so sad after uh, after that result Saturday, my man. Yeah, no, it was a tough one to swallow, man. I felt really confident after talking to him in between the second and third round that we were on our way to a victory, and I, I, I don't know, man. Those those things that blindside you like that are tough, but, uh, you know, first and foremost, too, but, man, hats off to Jacare, man, class act. Uh, he dug down deep. He wasn't going to get that decision, uh, and he found a way to win, so, you know, hats off to him, and you know, my heart goes out to Chris because we had a great training camp. Uh, the weight cut was good. Everything was good. A hundred percent. No excuses. I thought he was looking great. He was very comfortable with the stand up. And uh, man, you zig when you should have zagged. And that's what happens. MMA is an unforgiving sport. And I think that's what makes it a great sport. And that's why people love it. And, uh, you know, a lot of positive takeaways. But you know, more, I'm just, my heart goes out to him because I know he put a lot of time in. And, right. And when th things are going your way, it's even, you know, it's, I think it's even worse. You know, mm -hmm. if it would have been a total blowout, you know, it would have been a different story. But, you know, we were looking good and that was it. It was great having the crowd behind us. Uh, he's very, or he should be very grateful. He's got great fans. Uh, I thought the garden came alive just like the Coliseum. Yep. And uh, I felt great, man. It was the the ambiance was fucking phenomenal. And uh, after the fight, people were great. Uh, I got so many so many nice responses and stuff. It was all it's all good, man. But you know, it's part of the game. And look, for me, it's tough because I I I, I trained Ayaquinta last night. I got to go back in like nothing happened. Right, you know, right. I can't, I can't take anything with me, so I'm in a really weird spot. And also, you know, Frivola coming off a fight of the night performance, you know, my emotions were freaking all over the place, you know? So it is just, there was a lot. That was a heavy night, heavy night. Well, well Ray, but both fights were absolutely tremendous. Uh, both true classics. Um, what does this do to Chris though? What does this do to Chris's career uh, and his ability to try to get back to the top? 
I tell you, this is a, this is a I'm going to say it's a pretty big setback um, because I tell you, with a win over Jacare, I mean, he was looking, you know, he was looking good, man. He mm-hmm. already had beat Gastelum, and I think that's always going to be a great matchup for Chris. I think uh, Whitaker would would have been the tougher fight, but I have, I actually think Gastelum's going to beat Whitaker. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. he was, I think he was looking good. So now, uh, you know, he's got a couple of things to decide because a couple of people mentioned, you know, maybe moving up to 205. Wow. And I, and I really did think the weight cut went, went really well. But who knows? You know, who knows if I tell you, he, could, he takes a punch in the gym. You know what I mean? And, and like, again, going into that third round, he had taken some big shots and he didn't even I, – I was having – he was very, you know, uh, lucid in the corner, man. There was nothing right, wrong. right. The body shots, which I thought were phenomenal from Jack Array, didn't bother him. Nothing bothered him. So I guess he just got hit right. You know what I mean? Right. So, that, that was yeah. one of the things that really surprised me from Jack Array Sosa. I don't want to say that he's a bully fighter necessarily, but uh, typically, you know, when he's the hammer, he's he's – unstoppable you know he'll walk right through you but when he starts to kind of get the worst of it typically he kind of he starts backing up he doesn't really respond this was a courageous effort from him and it was a different jacare to me this was a guy that i thought was losing the fight and there was no quit at him he continued to press forward and throw very hard combinations did that surprise you uh I, look, I thought he was tiring, so that surprised yeah. me. But I got to tell you, that was a guy with his back against the wall. And he came in shape. Yeah, good, great yeah, point. That if he lost that fight, man, that was a guy that really, that was willpower, man. That was a guy that didn't want to, you know, fucking go out like that. And I, I think he knew he wasn't going to get that decision at mm-hmm. Madison Square Garden, which right. if, if you look at the scorecards, he wasn't. And uh, he found the resolve to fucking do it, man. Yeah. That's why I say hats off to him. And again, a class act in, in winning and, you know, uh, blah, blah. you know, I never really knew Jacare at all, but I'm, uh, you know, he had, he had a really nice corner. One of the guys was in the gym a couple of months ago and yeah, just good, good. It was a good, that part's all good, man. And yeah, no, I, I'm not going to say surprised, but I thought he was going to break and he, and he came back. So I'm going to say, yeah, a little surprised on that. I thought in the third round, he wouldn't even have the energy to, pull off a punch like that considering he already unloaded i thought what was the best of what he had in the in the other round so yeah i'll, I'll say surprised a little bit Ken Flo, i'll let you get back in here in a second but yeah. i think on soza he knew if he was ever going to fight for the ufc championship in his life he had to get this one right he's going to be 39 years old next month and he feels like ray he beat the greatest middleweight in UFC history on Saturday night, right? Like he feels that's the gravity of this accomplishment for him. And I know that's an entirely different conversation. Um, but I just felt like you got an urgent jacare that, as Kenny said, we may have never seen before. And, and even that guy was getting beat pretty handily on the feet by your guy. So I think in terms of Chris's striking, I don't think it's ever looked better. Yeah. Yeah. No, look, I was proud of the guy. We had, we had a really great camp. Um, and, and that's it, man. You know, it is, I thought like to me, I saw that fight going the way the first round went. That In my head, if I had a scripted, I thought he was going to pot shot him with that jab all night long, which he was kind of doing, and look for a couple of big shots here and there and sit down on some punches. And uh, I also thought he would have went for it. You know, I think he, he was – I thought he would have went for a, a couple of takedowns just so we could fake the takedowns to open up the hands. I mean, that was kind of what we talked about. But I think he felt so comfortable in there that he – 
he didn't even find that necessary. But I'd have to talk to him. I only spoke to him briefly uh, just to make sure he was all right. And I didn't want to bother him. And, you know, he, he's, he's pretty fucking bummed out because I think, uh, again, I think things were going good and it just that just went bad. So... Well, Ray, Ray, one of the reasons we, we love to have you on the podcast every week is because of your honesty, and, and I want to know what you think of that stoppage by Dan Mergliata. Jacare Souza would seem to be kind of upset about it. He felt that it was probably uh, a little bit late. Uh, what did you think about that? You know, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to surprise you on this one because mm-hmm. I know I've always been critical of Dan, but I do think in my I do think he wanted to give him every last uh, effort. Uh, yeah. To win, it was a, it was a, the magnitude of that fight was pretty big. So I think I'm, I'm gonna, I don't even know if this is true, but in me, in my mind, I think he wanted to give him every last possible chance, and I like that for my fights. I, I talked to Ayakunta about it last night. They, you know, these guys want to die. They don't want anything stopped. And I think because look, he sat down on his ass, which is always a good sign. He didn't face plant, mm-hmm. and then right. he did go right for the leg. So until the point I saw him get hit once, and he wasn't responsive. You know, so I don't think he took any unnecessary damage, and I think he gave the, you know, look in Gastelum, he got he got sat down kind of the same way, and he survived, and he went on to right. win the fight. So Good I think point. to Dan's credit, if he's thinking like that, I think you know let's give him every last chance. I just saw him in his previous fight, come back and right. win off the same thing. So Good I know point. he got criticized for that, but for me as a coach, I want to give. I know Chris was in great shape. I want to give him every last chance, and i i i think i think he i think he did the right thing, and he didn't get hurt after that too much because Jack raised a gentleman. So I think at the end of the day, it all worked out. He might want to go back and look for previous fight, you know, future fights to see if maybe he wants to stop it short. But I don't think he wanted to stop that fight too short because that would have been a disaster. You well, know, of course, and was, I the guy was I, winning the fight, and you know, right. Yeah, so I, I like the I, fact that he has a good knowledge of the fighters. Dan Mergliata does, and he understands that Chris has had a penchant for rallying through adversity. And you're right that Chris exactly. didn't get severely injured thereafter. But what if he had, right? And that's my issue, right? When I see yeah. that type of knockdown, this is what happens in boxing, right? A guy gets a what, in my opinion, was a concussion, and then as long as he can stand the fuck up in ten seconds, he can come up and get another concussion, and then go get your CTE, right? So, largely, I I think maybe I can't came down too hard on Dan on the broadcast. I like that he was aware of the athlete, and you're right, Chris did seem to recover in a minute. But I just think it's fortunate that there wasn't more damage sustained exactly. after the fact but exactly. no I, I i agree with you look it's it's okay like for you guys to come down because by doing that you do kind of keep that bubble you know in the public eye and we want to make sure to fight is safety but you know when you talk to these guys because look even you know i got criticized for the rockhold fight did that go too long dude these guys they're a different breed man they want to fight to the death and yeah we are there to protect them but when you know a guy and you know what he could do and you've seen him in training and sometimes, you know, guys that come back and they win fights. And look, even if a guy comes back and wins fights, right, that doesn't mean it's good for him either. Mm-hmm. Of course. You know, but this mm-hmm. is the sport we're in, man. We're in a right. crazy right. – we're in a right. fucking crazy sport, man. Yeah. And oh, if you're, the sport if in you're the world, even man. worried about it, I wouldn't get into this sport. I mean, I'm, I'm always going to say this. So, like, whether one thing is right or wrong. Getting hit in the head is just not good for you, ever. That's true. If you bump that your head true. into the refrigerator, going to, <laughs> right. you know. Heading a soccer the, ball. Not, yeah, yeah, not good. It's just not good. Yeah. So yeah. this is what we live with. These guys know the risks. I think the more, 
you get the weight cut down and your brain's not dehydrated. Because I, I think like the brain is the last place to get the fluid when you're rehydrating. So again, another good question is maybe 205 is a better fit hmm. because I don't see this ever happening in a gym. Like I'm telling you ever, you know, so. But this was all indications were, and you would know better than anyone else. He looked to be in the shape of his life. I mean, this was an outstanding training camp. It seemed to be the best he looked on the scale to me, seemed to be an outstanding cut. I got to think he has some pause to move up after a cut that goes that well, no? Well, I agree with you 100% because I'm telling you the weight cut went good, but that would be something we have to really talk to him. Look, and Kenny, you know this, no weight cut. If, if, if the average person watches a fighter make weight, they're going to be mortified. Would that yes. be a correct statement, Kenny? Uh, yeah, no matter- they, they would absolutely be uh, mortified and horrified. It, it, it's really tough on your body either yeah. way. Even if it's like it's a That's great cut, it's still really yeah. freaking difficult, something that maybe only 1% of the human population can right. actually do. Exactly. A yeah. great cut. If I tell the average person don't eat for fucking six hours. <laughs> they might fucking kill me. You know what I mean? Right, like exactly. even a good weight cut to yeah. the average guy is like, this is torture. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to say this to me, the weight cut went great. The training camp was phenomenal. Everything was good. I'm not an expert on those last five days. I'm just not, man. I've right. seen it. I have a lot of experience witnessing it. But if you're asking me, do I know exactly what the results on the body are? I don't. So maybe 205 might be a place where he comes in just stronger, more coherent, you know, everything, all those attributes that go with that. So I don't know. I really don't know. But well, I know even and it's a good reset button too. It's a good reset button to to change weight classes. So who knows? Look look at Gastelum. Look at Whitaker. These are guys that fought at 170. They're having the time of their lives at 185. Mm Well, you know, and for maybe, Chris, maybe, even off, yeah. I'm just saying, even off a loss, given his resume, he could find himself in a light heavyweight title eliminator against the number two guy in the world, Anthony Smith, and fans aren't going to bat an eye at that, right? You could be one win away, not that you're in any great rush to share the octagon with John Jones or Alexander Gustafson necessarily, but it could happen pretty expeditiously for Chris if he does move up, given what the top five looks like right now. Exactly. And the older those guys get, maybe the weight cut starts to affect them. More. Yep. You know what I mean? Very this fair. Is a, this is a really crazy thing. Those weight cuts, and I'm saying the weight cut, when I say the weight cut went well, I'm telling you, if you're the average guy, you know, I think I was talking to Mark Lamont about this because he, he comes to the weight cuts because he reports it. Dude, it's, it's, it's brutal. It's fucking yeah. brutal. I'm telling you. The weight cut was good, but if you ask his wife, it wasn't good. Well, right. And I'm basing it on my conversation with him, which was Wednesday, and also the fact that his eyes eyes just looked much better to me, not so black. Not that he was smiling up there. But, yeah, for guys like Rockhold and Weidman, there's nothing – I mean, dude, for Rockhold, it is absolutely brutal making 180. Look, he was very, very um, dedicated to this fight. I'm saying he was – we were training at 203, 202, 204. He never went above 205, I don't think, for – I mean, he yeah. was he was he was really good, man. Yeah. But again, I, I'm just saying, and I don't know this. I'm just, I I don't. We don't really know what happens when you do that to your body. You know what I mean? Right. Some guys look yeah. good. Some guys could say they feel good. Right. Inside, we don't really know, and that that's maybe one. Of, I'm just offering it up. That might be one thing that who knows? Maybe 205. Look, I would think like a 195 would be a perfect weight for him. Right. You know, right. like 200 would be phenomenal. You know, right. I always said that there's a lot of fighters that 160 would make a big difference or 65, you know, instead of 55. But, you know, it's 
Like that, that boxing, you know, years ago when boxing was very competitive, man, a guy tried to move up from 130 to 135. That was hard to do because the level of skill was so competitive that even that little weight made a big difference. So these guys are giving up 15 pounds and they got to get that. I don't know. It's, it's tough, man. I, I would like to see more weight classes for sure. Hey, I don't know what your schedule's like, but, you know, Weidman doesn't fight all that often. I just have a couple more things on the fight, and tell me when you need to go. But no, you, I'm, you... Good. I'm good. I stayed home right. today. I'm just going to, after this, I, I eat, and I go work out, and I get back to my normal schedule. It's nice to have you at home. I mean, it sounds better. It looks better. But we, we, we launch in the gym. How about this guy? Oh, he's, he's showing us his, his house. Oh, we have a dog. That uh, literally barked throughout the first 35 episodes of the Anakin Florian podcast, <laughs> and then somehow it went away. He's a man's best that? friend, baby. Man's best friend. It he's is. just hanging out. He's just chilling. So you talked about the takedowns a little bit or the lack thereof. So after round two, and I'm going on Matt Sarah's podcast later today, and I'm going to spin the interview around to him and ask him because he seemed to say, take him down, Chris, after round two. I'm wondering yeah. how much you can give us in terms of the game plan as to whether or not you guys plan to try to take him down more often. Do you think Jacare, given that Chris had taken down his previous 13 UFC opponents, was expectant that you were going to try to take him down more? What was the thought process going in? And, and I don't know, why was that not more a part of what we saw Saturday night? I mean, I look, I, I, it was part of the plan. Cause look, Chris is really good on top. I don't think he was going to get submitted uh, you know, we were working at even, you know, even up in, in the dressing room up to the fight. So, you know, for me, I like always going for even if you don't get it. I like going for it because the mm -hmm. more you mix up, the more the guy has to react to, you know what I mean? Like uh, Chris has great, you know, he's got pretty good head kicks. I wanted those, you know, the more you could throw at a guy, the more he has to think about, you know what I mean? If you keep doing the same thing, that's what surprised me about John Ray. He does the same stuff over and over again. And like I told his corner, whoever went over the body shot with him, that's the only thing I didn't see coming, you know, was the body shot. So, you know, hats off to those guys. I thought that was great. And I don't know if it had an effect in the fight, but it was still mixing it up enough that it might, you know, like, again, the more that guy has to think about, man, I get my leg kicked. Now he's going to my head. Now he's shooting for me. Now I'm getting hit with the jab again. You know, the more you could put in. And I thought, you know, he's got phenomenal leg kicks. I would have liked to have seen a little more of that. And, uh, mm -hmm. Just the head kicks, just to freeze him, and yeah, the takedowns were in there, and we we were confident he had a great top game. But I I, I think that's a question for Chris, really, because um, I think that might have made a little difference in the fight. Although he was on his way to a victory, and I think he was just having a blast out there. Of course, and he of felt, course, and he and... felt like he was just doing good. That's my take, but you know that could be a little different. But Mixing in the wrestling and even, you know, some of the other things he could have do would have been a little better. But, you know, he was successful doing what he was doing. And, right. you know, and that was it. And maybe, you know, that was part of the problem. Who knows? But No, he certainly yeah. had that crowd by the balls. All right, last thing, and yeah. just in terms of his legacy. And, you know, it's just crazy because if you talk about Ken Flo, you know, who's the greatest middleweight of all time in the UFC at least, certainly Anderson Silva is going to begin that conversation. A lot of us thought skill for skill that Luke Rockhold would eventually become that guy. He lost to Michael Bisping and, and his candidacy went sort of down the drain with that loss. I think a lot of people thought Chris Weidman was going to be that guy too. And I'm not saying he isn't the greatest middleweight of all time, but the record now says that he's lost four of his last five. And I know you shared this opinion that I'm about to offer, that for a guy as talented as Chris, who works as hard as he does with everything in the right place, 
it's amazing that that is what we're looking at on paper yeah. because he is one of the best pound for pound fighters that I've ever seen. And the ledger says L four of five. Yeah, no, no. Look, man, if we would have had this conversation like three years ago, four years ago, I would have told you it's not happening. Like where we're at today, I just never saw that coming because he was so dominant. And what he accomplished with nine or ten fights, whatever it was, it was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So you can never take that away. Just like, you know, you can never take away Matt's, you know, knockout of GSP. And these are things that will, I think, stand the test of time. But, no, I'm uh, we're in a we're in a we're in a predicament I didn't think we'd be in for sure. So. We're gonna have to get together and just see where where we're going. But no, I I agree. I didn't think this would we would be here. And I and I got to tell you, for about twelve minutes, I didn't think we were gonna be here. So you know that night, I mean, I I felt like I got hit in the head with a baseball bat. I just didn't see it coming. I was very confident after yeah. talking and going into that third round. And uh, you know, I don't know, you know. So hey, it's the fight game, baby. Yeah. Yeah, man. Nothing, well, nothing, all, nothing, all of that said, like it, you know, look where you were going into the Kelvin Gastelum fight. All it takes is one win, and you know Chris's next fight is going to be against a marquee name, and it's going to be a huge fight. Could even be Israel Adesanya. You just never know. So, uh, yeah. hey, man, I appreciate it. Yeah, and I'm glad he got fighting tonight. Let me interrupt. Although, you know, I, I, I kept telling Fravola, man, you got fighting tonight, man. There's no uh, way. Locked up. How, how crazy is that? And I... I went back to the hotel. I saw Lando, and I go, "You did get fired tonight, right?" He's looking at me like, "What the hell's the matter with you, Weidman?" Guy? <laughs> <laughs> I think he wanted Weidman. He goes, "It's at least it's your gym." I think the fair right, thing to right. do would be split it three ways. So right, it was right. funny, you know, good stuff. But I'm happy for Chris that at least people and and the brass and you guys, the comment, all realized it was a great fight. And uh, unfortunately, I love a great fight, but I don't like it when it doesn't go yeah. my way. But if there's any consolation, you know, you know, he got some more money and, you know, with those fights are the fights that people remember you for. And no he's doubt. had a bunch of them. He's got nothing to be ashamed of. He's, he's done a lot in the sport in a short period of time. And, you know, it's, it's all good. That's what, that's one of the things that really impresses me about DC, man. You know, he, he's an old, you know, he's getting a little older. He started late, man. This guy is just, he's fucking phenomenal. So, I want to say congratulations to him, man. I had a great chat with him at the Wayans where he still teaches those kids every fucking day, 24 seven and three sixty five. He's just a good dude. So happy for everything he gets. Yeah. I texted Chris. I was like, dude, I, I couldn't have more respect for you. I'm going to name my fourth kid. Weidman Anik. We're going to call him Weedman because a little haven't, weed man, I think would be kind of fun. Haven't you gotten enough trouble with all of these predictions you're making? You got to walk around with that tattoo on your head now. Now you, now Come on, two. man! Are you having a fourth kid? Now you've now you're two oh nine, motherfucker! <laughs> what? Uh, no, I'm not having a fourth kid. I, honestly, if if somehow my wife got pregnant with a fourth child, I would dip into the deepest state of depression. I don't uh, think I'd ever get out of it. You know, I'm, that, I, I'm, that, I'm, I'm, I'm. We should we should do a whole podcast on that one day because I, <laughs> I I fancy myself an expert in that category. <laughs> Because I want I want to take a gun and shoot myself in the head. I don't know if anybody out there is with me. Kenny, uh, another 10 years, we'll see where you have If you're laughing like that. Oh, uh, my goodness. Hey, for all the haters that out there, you funny. can't keep me down, baby. <laughs> We're still going. All for one and one for all. We're yeah, sticking yeah, together, yeah. man. It's a great team, and everybody feeds off everybody else. It was great having Aljo and Al there. Everybody was cheering, and Marab yeah. and Cezanne. We got, just, we got a good crew, man. Everybody's... 
behind Weidman. They appreciate all the things he does. And, you know, it's, it's all good stuff. And I know at the end of the day, there's more to fighting. This was a tough yeah. one to swallow, but he is surrounded by really good people and it's all going to be good. All right, my man. Appreciate the time for the 178th consecutive week. You know how much love we have for you. It was hard for me to look through the fence and see you like that, but uh, a lot of good in that performance, and we know Chris will be back. And and bet for better or for worse, you're going to be back next Monday. So we'll let you go after 25, and we'll talk to you in a week, my man. Beautiful, guys. I appreciate everything. I really do. You guys are great. and uh, This is almost therapy for me, so I, I appreciate it. Thank you, All right, Ray. My man. Thank All you, right, Ray. Thank you, guys. The Ray Longo Minute every week here on the Anakin Florian podcast. Oh, so, dude, I mean, I thought he was going to – and Ray doesn't listen to this podcast after the fact, so I can I can say some of the stuff that's about to come out of my mouth. I thought he was just going to fully break down. I've wow. never seen him look so despondent and because I just think they feel like they have the greatest middleweight of all time, and the record now says he's lost fucking four of five. And I know it's all against elite competition, Kenny, but this is a, this is a part of the legacy, man, and, and it, it's crazy to think that maybe just a little bit removed from his fighting prime that uh, despite some good performances in these losses that he has lost four of his last five. The highest highs and the lowest lows. That, that's mm. what this sport gives you. And um, it's amazing when you look at uh, guys like Anthony Pettis, guys like Chris Weidman, who are really on top of the world being a champion in their division in a very tough division, have some amazing wins, and then all of a sudden, in the blink of an eye, they're staring at three, four fight, you know, fight losses in a row. I, I mean, it, it's unbelievable. This sport is absolutely brutal. It's the toughest sport in the world in every aspect. Um, and momentum, confidence, style matchups are huge in, in this sport. And even when you have an advantage as far as the style fights, it doesn't always go your way. You zig when you should have zagged, like Ray said, right. and right. Uh, that could be the end of it. And, um, you know, we knew, though, obviously, Jacare Souza, uh, one of the best Brazilian jiu-jitsu competitors of all time, um, a guy who hits extremely hard. We knew that was going to be a tough matchup for Chris Weidman. And um, I, I got to say, I, I agree with, with Matt. I was a little surprised that um, he didn't try to go for more takedowns, especially yeah. in that third round. Um, right. Jacare is uh, very dangerous on the ground, but not as dangerous when he's on his back. I thought Chris should have gone for a little bit more takedowns. Uh, and, and the other thing was countering that left hook. You don't throw a lead left hook to the body in boxing, let alone in mixed martial arts. It's a very dangerous thing, especially when you have right. four-ounce gloves. I was surprised that Chris um, didn't try to counter with that right-hand cross going backwards uh, to deal with that left hook to the body. Uh, but those are the two things that really stood out. Obviously, it's a lot easier uh, said than done, and um, it was an unbelievable fight at the end of the day, and this is going to be one of those for Chris Weidman and, and Ray and his team that – um, they're going to have to battle back from. And I think one fight that might make sense is maybe he does fight Rockhold, but he fights Rockhold at 205 pounds. Right. Yeah, I think that's a fight that would have legs, and I like the way you're thinking. And obviously light heavyweight is on their radar at this point in yeah. time. And I thought you hit on a lot of good points in terms of, of the game plan and, and maybe why it wasn't more takedown heavy, but it's just a, tough to sort of walk back into your – new world after a loss like that and i yeah. think especially so because this was the training camp of his life he was in the shape of his life i mean he was his body fat percentage was lower than it had ever been before and you know ken flo didn't lose a lot but when kenny did lose to bj Penn or jose aldo i'm 
sitting around taking 45, 50 minutes to write you a text message, <laughs> right? It's like you have relationships with these fighters and you don't know what to say yeah. in that moment. And so I felt like if I said, dude, we're going to have a kid, he's going to be called Weed Manic. Maybe that'll like help bring some <laughs> levity, but it's yeah. just tough. But the story ultimately is Jacare Souza. And how about this this Camp Fusion XL performance in Orlando, right? In terms of what they've been able to extract from Jacare, right? Yeah. He says when he was in Brazil, they were just going way too hard, sparring all the time. They have gotten back to basics, striking fundamentals, head movement, angles, footwork, and say what you want about Souza. He's not the fastest guy in the world necessarily. Maybe he's lost a step, Kenny, but mm -hmm. he was moving his head like never before. I think in terms of some striking improvements, Jacare has made them, and, and they helped him rally to get a win Saturday. Night. I saw I saw um, improvements on the technical side, but I also saw improvements on the mental side of things. And yeah. um, on the technical side of things, I think you nailed that his head movement was so much better than we've seen in the past. Um, he was getting that head off the center line. Um, and the next level of that, I think, in his next fight, not only will we see that head movement, but we'll actually see slips and punches off of that head movement next, which is going to be uh, terrifying for his opponents. But, um, yeah, I, I thought that was a huge difference. Uh, I thought his ability to move forward and not get... Um, not having to really cower to the pressure of Chris Weidman was a huge difference. So mm -hmm. this he, he obviously went back, looked at the Kelvin Gastelum fight and maybe even some other fights where maybe he took his foot off the gas a little bit or, or maybe let the guy kind of take over um, you know, in, in some of those fights. That was not the case this time around. I thought Chris uh, won that first round. I thought that he, may, he probably... Uh, Snuck away with the second round as well. I thought those takedowns and grappling exchanges probably won it for him as well. I thought it was a closer round, no doubt about it. Um, and then he was doing well in the third round. But it was Jacare Souza continuing to walk him down and throw hard combinations in the pocket that really had me worried for Chris because Chris wasn't moving his head so well and Chris wasn't countering so well. And he was circling into power a little bit, which concerned me. But um, in the end, it was that continued pressure and that confidence from Jacare Souza to continue going for it that one in that fight and i think that was a different wrinkle to jacare souza hopefully we won't short chain short change daniel cormier today nor jared cannonier and some of the other knights big knights big winners but i i need this segue to israel adesanya because our yes. guest pick for denver is coming up soon and this is a guy who made his ufc debut in february if anybody is going to challenge dc for fighter of the year in 2018 it's israel adesanya he is 4-0 in the ufc big win over Derek Brunson it came with nine seconds to go in the opening round by TKO Adesanya is all the rage right now and rightfully so he was all the rage coming in Ken Flo and I think when you look at the body of work not just the kickboxing and boxing background but now the mixed martial arts body of work he could have come to the UFC several years ago Joe Silva wanted this guy very badly right he bided his time he waited till he was ready money wasn't an issue so he wasn't in any rush to get to the big show and now over the course of nine or ten months, we've seen him improve dramatically in a lot of areas just with the strength of four training camps. So I think Adesanya might be one fight away from a championship fight. He might be the backup when Whitaker and Gastelum fight for the UFC middleweight title sometime first quarter 2019. This kid is an absolute superstar. I think he'll be headlining a UFC pay-per-view by this time next year for sure.
Um, one, one of the more impressive performances at UFC 230, in my opinion. And, um, I, I, you know, you have to credit his management and his coaching squad as well for what they've done with him because for a couple reasons. Not only are they taking the right fights in the right order uh, to get him the right experience to build up to this championship run, um, but he's getting better. He really is getting better. I think Derek Brunson was no doubt, in my mind, a tougher challenge than even Brad Tavares. And maybe he's not as well-rounded as a Brad Tavares, um, but he has fought some very uh, tough competition and has some good wins over some elite guys. Um, And... You know, he was able to get to that clinch. He was able to get to his strong positions. And Israel Adesanya was able to stop every single takedown attempt. Um, And granted, I think Derek Brunson was a little intimidated. He seemed a little gun-shy out there. He was shooting from a little far away. But he was still able to get to the clinch and still able to get some good scoring positions. And Adesanya just would not let him get to those uh, positions and finish them. Um, So huge credit to Adesanya, who looked way more comfortable when it came to those wrestling exchanges. He seemed very confident. And then once he was able to utilize his striking, it was all over for Derek Brunson. So in terms of Adesanya's future, Kenny, certainly he has a style and a disposition that has really endeared him to fight fans around the world. I think there's a fight IQ element to him that maybe he doesn't get enough credit for. I even thought in his UFC debut, even though it was Rob Wilkinson, I don't care who it is, a guy with a UFC contract who tries to take you down 16 times, you stuff 13 of them, Mm -hmm. I'm giving you some modicum of credit for it. I don't know if the next fight for him is going to be the title, right? I thought, you know, a a Weidman fight would have had legs potentially if Chris had won because Adesanya had called for that fight but said he wanted to get through Derek Brunson first. I think if you're Jacare Souza, you're not going near Israel Adesanya at 38, almost 39 years old. I think for Jacare, you're going to try like hell to wait and have your next fight be for a UFC championship. But for Israel Adesanya, there weren't a lot of people saying that if he could knock out Derek Brunson, he would be in the championship conversation, Kenny, and... Yet, don't you think he kind of is, given that performance and given that this was sort of billed as, as moving night in the middleweight division? I think he's, he's certainly in the conversation. Should he have that next title shot? I don't think so yet. And listen, I think he yeah. matches up extremely well against Robert Whitaker, but uh, give him one more fight. I, I think that fight against Paulo so. Costa is, is interesting. I, I would love wow. to see that fight. Uh, Costa, you know, is going to get in his face and try to knock his head off. And I think that also brings out the best in Adesanya in a lot of ways. Um, so I, I think that would be a fantastic fight. Um, so, yeah, a, a little bit more experience because I think the whole thing is really building up that level of experience uh, in the octagon before you get that title shot. So when you do have it in front of you, you could take it right away and hold on to the belt after you get it. So I think he right. is building up that right experience. He is going against good wrestlers, but, you know, certainly don't put him up against Yo Romero, for example, at 185 right. in his next one. Right. I think that would might be a little bit too much. But maybe not. I don't know. Maybe he does fight a guy like Apollo Costa, get that experience, maybe fight a Robert Whitaker. You know, by that time, he, he's ready to take on whoever it is. How about the fact that he wants Weidman, though? One of the most, actually, had he taken him down, had he taken Jacare down twice, he would have become the most accomplished takedown artist in UFC middleweight history, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's interesting that Weidman was the name on the tip of his tongue, right? Because if there's a wrestling challenge in that division, I mean, doesn't that conversation sort of start with with Romero and Weidman? Uh, Without a doubt. And I think Weidman uh, is a very dangerous style matchup for him. And the fact that he called him out and the fact that, you know, Chris has been struggling in his last five fights, um, 
is an interesting choice. I don't know if that's the choice. Uh, Chris is a tough style matchup, and Chris yeah. kind of would have nothing to lose in that one. But, right. um, yeah, I don't know if that's the play, though. All right. Yeah, I don't I don't either. I just yeah. think it's interesting. Right. Coming off a loss. I'm not sure that that is the way they are going to go. Well, it's very interesting. And we're going to table the cannoneer stuff in a little bit. Support for the Anakin Florian podcast comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans, America's premier home purchase lender. Let's talk about buying a home. It can be one of the most important purchases you will ever make. But today's fluctuating interest rates can leave you with unexpected higher payments, which can turn a great experience into an anxious one. That's why Quicken Loans created their exclusive power buying process. So here's how it works. They check your income, assets, and credit to give you a verified approval. This gives you the strength of a cash buyer, making your offer more attractive to sellers. Once verified, you qualify for their exclusive rate shield approval. They'll lock your interest rate for up to 90 days while you shop for your new home. Then once you have found the one, if rates have gone up, your rate stays the same. But if rates have gone down, you get to keep that new lower rate. Either way you win, it's the kind of thinking you'd expect from America's largest mortgage lender. So to get started, go to rocketmortgage.com slash anik, rocketmortgage.com slash A-N-I-K. Rate shield approval only valid on certain 30-year purchase transactions. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply based on Quicken Loans data in comparison to public data records. Equal housing lender, license in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. All right, more on UFC 230 on the back end, but we have kept this man waiting long enough. It is time to segue to UFC Denver let us get to the main event challenge. It's the main event challenge. And the time is most definitely now. Florian. I finished fights. I'm going to do everything possible to win. The main event challenge. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. I think the killer gorilla Jared Cannonier actually listens to the Anik and Florian podcast. So I promised Jared, I, I expected to get to you earlier than. 55 minutes in but last week on the show Ken Flo went head-to-head with one of my favorite guest pickers of all time from the 209 Ryan Martinson you guys tied 4-4 lead for Tam- team Anik 13 126-113 it's UFC Denver this weekend joining us to make picks today from Prince George British Columbia in Canada Chris Meyer Chris good morning man how are you I'm doing great how are you guys we're doing well man well we, we appreciate you stepping up today I know you're excited to Test your skills against the flow and let us get to it. FS1 UFC Fight Night, the Korean Zombie versus Rodriguez. We got four main card fights for you today. First up at flyweight, this might be one of the last flyweight fights in UFC history. You never know. Essentially a pick them here on paper, guys. Joseph Benavidez and Ray Borg. Benavidez minus 120, Borg minus 110. Chris, who do you like here at 125 pounds, my man? Uh, it's pretty close to a pick them fight, according to the odds there. Um I think it's a big step up in competition for Ray Borg, though, and uh, I think Benavides is going to take a decision in this fight. All right, Chris goes Joseph Benavides by decision. I thought Benavides would be a little bit bigger a favorite. I want to set up the Ray Borg story here quickly, if I could. So he hasn't fought in more than a year since losing the title fight to Demetrius Johnson. That was a fifth-round submission loss, October of 2017. Was supposed to face Brandon Moreno. That was UFC 223 in April. But Ray was perhaps the fighter most affected by that dolly throw from Conor McGregor. Got shards of glass in the eye. He was unable to compete that weekend. The Moreno fight was rescheduled for May 19th, but then Borg had to pull out of that fight to help take care of his infant son. It's a story, Kenny, I know you've been following very closely. His son has undergone multiple brain surgeries at this point in time. Of course, our good friend Brendan Shaw, what a gesture offering to pay for the entirety of his medical bills. 
But for Borg, this is tricky, right? Because this training camp has coincided with a lot of these medical procedures and a lot of the emotional hardship that comes with it, not to mention the fact that he's fighting one of the best flyweights in the world. So I'm not sure that the odds makers have accounted for everything that Ray Borg has been dealing with, Kenny. Uh, your thoughts on Benavidez and Borg this weekend? Yeah, and, and that's my big concern. I mean, that is a lot to deal with uh, as a family, as a father, as a fighter. Um, and, and my heart goes out to them. I mean, that that is a lot to deal with. So uh, whether he's really been able to commit himself like he normally does, I, I just don't know, and I have a hard time believing that. Um, but at the same time, I mean, what more motivation than seeing your, your child fight every single day uh, to, to survive, really. And, and that kind of uh, inspiration, um, you know, can go a long way as well. So... Um, this is a tough one for me, but um, e even tougher for Ray Borg and his family. So um, I, I got to go with the veteran jo Joseph Benavides here. I think he's going to be really tough to stop, um, whether there's an issue going on or not. Um, but this, I, I just, it's going to be really hard for me to believe that Ray Borg has been able to really commit himself to a full training camp here. Um, I would love to see him get a win. Uh, Joseph Benavides is a, a friend of mine as well. So it it's tough, but um, I, I think Joe probably takes this. And Ray Borg's got all the skill in the world, right? And he he's a guy does. who a lot Tremendous of us feel like can get himself back to it. Yeah, outstanding submission yeah. game and just the transitions on the ground. Out, very fun fighter to watch, but uh, we'll see how it goes in that flyweight fight. That's part of the main card. Also on the main card, the return of former UFC women's featherweight champion Jermaine Durandamy. So she hasn't fought since that forgettable fight. It was February of 2017. She denied Holly Holmes' bid to become a two-division champion that night. So she threw punches after the, the horn in rounds two and three, mm -hmm. and she got a lot of criticism for that. Then she refused to fight Chris Cyborg in her first title defense because of previous PED transgressions. That brought more criticism yeah. to Jermaine Durandamy. Of course, now she drops down after being stripped, returns to the Bantamweight division. She'll be the minus 175 favorite here against recent title challenger Raquel Pennington. She is the dog at plus 145. Chris Meyer. Who do you like here, Jermaine Durandamy or Rocky Pennington? Uh, like you said, um, Jermaine's coming off quite the layoff. It's been almost two years now since she's fought. But I think she's got enough experience in her kickboxing background to uh, really take it to Pennington. And I think I think she's going to uh, – she might start off slow, but I think it's going to be a rough night for Pennington. I'll take Durandamy by decision again. Jermaine Durandamy by decision for Chris. Ken Flo Pennington's last fight, of course, the title loss to Amanda Nunes. That was in May, and that came after she missed all of 2017 due to injury. This is a fighter who had a broken back when she was a teenager. I mean, a lot of injuries for Pennington, a lot of MMA miles as well. Your thoughts on Raquel in the spot against Jermaine Durandamy? Yeah, and she unfortunately gained a lot of miles, uh, in my opinion, in her last fight. Uh, Raquel really took a lot of punishment in that one. She does get hit a lot, and that's really what concerns me here against an excellent striker in Jermaine Durandamy. Um, can't she cause some problems if this fight hits the mat and she gets on top? Absolutely. Obviously, Jermaine Durandamy, uh, not known for her ground game. I think uh, Raquel could absolutely submit her. Um, so I think it's a little bit closer uh, than we think. However, I, I think because of Raquel's uh, propensity for getting hit, uh, I think she does take a beating here on the feet and uh, Durandamy wins. All right, co-main event, we've seen some money come in on Platinum Mike Perry. He did open as the betting favorite against Donald Cowboy Cerrone, but far more pronounced now. Perry minus 230, Cerrone plus 180. Outstanding matchup on paper. I, I think you're getting a finish here on one side or the other. If not, I think you're probably getting the fight of the night. 
Chris, great fight here between Perry and Cerrone. Who will it be for you? Yeah, this was actually a really tough fight for me to make my mind up on. Um, Perry's a pretty powerful guy, and I think that Cerrone's going to struggle um, if they get into the clinch at all. And I think he's going to have a real hard time with Mike Perry uh, just in the striking department. I think Mike Perry hits really hard, and uh, it's going to really affect Don Cerrone going through that fight. Um, I, I was going to take him by TKO, but I'll take Mike Perry by decision. All right, Mike Perry on points for Chris. Ken Flo can't speak much for Cerrone's training camp. I know he's done some traveling. I will tell you the reviews on Mike Perry coming out of Albuquerque, New Mexico, have been outstanding. A lot of evolution since he aligned with Jackson Wink MMA, and he's really found a guy in Frank Lester that has brought out a lot of confidence in him, at least as a mitt holder and everything else. Um, and I'm not sure about the line movement here. You know, Perry did beat up Paul Felder pretty good. That was back in July at UFC 226. Cerrone on paper has lost four of five. He's been in three straight main events, lost to Till, the win over Yancey Medeiros, then a loss to Leon Edwards. 29th UFC appearance, Kenny, for Cerrone, 46th pro fight overall. How do you think he'll fare against Platinum Mike Perry? Yeah, this is a this is a tough one for me as well. Uh, I think Mike Perry. There's no doubt uh, in my mind he hits harder, and, and I do agree with you. I saw some really good changes in his last fight. Um, I think he's hiding his strikes a little bit better. He's disguising his combinations better. He's mixing things up uh, a lot better. And, and I think he probably is improving as, as a grappler as well, uh, which you'll need against Donald Cerrone, who can be sneaky with his double leg takedown. I think Cerrone right. uh, definitely has uh, an advantage if this fight hits the, hits the mat. Uh, I don't think it's going to be easy to take down Mike Perry. However, this guy is short, stocky, very strong. Um, I do think that Donald Cerrone still has uh, a huge experience advantage. And, and sometimes Mike Perry gets a little emotional. I think for Donald Cerrone, he needs to re needs to show tremendous footwork here in this fight against Mike Perry. He cannot hang out in the pocket for very long against a guy who hits as hard as Mike. Uh, Cerrone needs to use those long-range weapons, particularly those leg kicks, uh, and that kick right down the middle to the body. Uh, I think if Donald Cerrone is able to do it, he can get the win. Um, I'm a little surprised he's as big as an underdog as he is. Obviously, he hasn't had the same kind of success as he's used to. Uh, but I, I think Donald Cerrone uh, wins this. Um, I think it will be close, but uh, I think he wins this against Perry. And I need points. Uh, yeah, and, and I do wonder... To your point, if, if by the time Saturday rolls around, if, if some betters will also see the value in, in Cerrone plus 180 uh, against Platinum Mike Perry, I guess we'll find out. All right, main event sees the Korean zombie Chan Sung Jung, the minus 155 favorite against the late replacement Yair Rodriguez. He comes back at plus 125, stepping in for Frankie Edgar here. All right, Chris, main event in Denver, so we will need the round and the method as well. Who wins the main event at the UFC's 25th anniversary show this week? Um, and this is another tight, tough fight to call. Um, they're both coming off of uh, long layoffs. They haven't fought since last year, early last year. Um, I think that uh, Yair Rodriguez is going to come out and put on a good performance on Saturday. I think he's going to take it to Chan Sung Jung, who uh, sometimes has a tendency to start slow as well. And I think it's a good striking matchup for uh, Yair Rodriguez as well. He's, um, he's a pretty good striker, and uh, I think he's going to come out and make a statement with this win. And I'll take him um, by knockout in round two. 
round two knockout or TKO yeah, for Yair Rodriguez, the pick Rodriguez. Chris Meyer. And you're right too, Chris. Like he's a he's a very intelligent guy, Rodriguez. He's a very thoughtful guy, and I gotta think that in taking this opportunity, certainly it's a main event, but he feels like this is a, a, a favorable matchup for him, and otherwise he wouldn't have jumped on it so swiftly. All right, Chris Meyer, great job today, man. We appreciate you coming on, and and hopefully we'll have you back on down the line, my man. Thank you also for listening. Awesome. Thanks a lot for having me on, guys. Have fun. All right, there he is, Chris Meyer. We're going to get rid of Chris so we can spend some time here with Ken Flo on this main event. So Rodriguez actually is the guy ending the longest layoff of his career here. That dates to May of 2017 when he entered 6-0 and in the UFC and left 6-1 and courtesy of a Frankie Edgar bludgeoning. And that, of course, the man he replaces here against the Korean zombie, Chan Sung Chung. His layoff is even longer, not the longest of his career, of course. He headlined, man. Hasn't fought since the, the UFC Super Bowl weekend show, Houston, Texas, February of 2017, when he returned from his military service to knock out Dennis Bermudez. That was his first fight since the Jose Aldo title fight in 2013. Yeah, It's amazing, Kenny, to think about where Chan, Chan Sung Jung could be had he not done the military service when he did it. You know, he got injured and had to pull out of a fight, and then I think he decided it was a good time to go do the military service. But it's amazing to think, I mean, this is an elite fighter in my opinion, and it's amazing to think where he could be if he didn't lose four years of his fighting prime. All of that said, what are your thoughts on what we have in store this weekend? Yeah, and those are, are precious years, no doubt about it. Um, this is a tough one because we haven't seen these guys very often as of late. So they could be drastically different fighters in, in that time. Um, so... This is a very difficult one. I think Yair is more dynamic on the feet. I think he's going to be uh, faster on the feet as well. Um, I think the Korean Zombie, with all of his uh, high-level fight experience, I, I think uh, he's coming in uh, with a different mindset. Yair Rodriguez is going to be very hungry, but I think Korean Zombie is going to be hungry, but I just think he has a little bit more high-level experience. You know, having fought guys like Jose Aldo and uh, true veterans like Mark Hominick, he actually, you know, I know Chris said that he could be a slow starter. I agree with that, but he's also a pretty fast starter. Whoa, his knockout over Mark Hominick was the fastest in featherweight history, one of right, the fastest right. in UFC history so he can get it done with his knockouts. He has serious power. I think uh, the Korean Zombie has an advantage on the ground as well with his submission game. This is a tough one. I know Yair has been working on his wrestling, uh, both offensively and defensively. Um, but I'm going to go with the Korean Zombie here. I do need points. Um, and both these guys are, are going to come in to entertain. It should be a good one. I'll go with uh, the Korean Zombie. Let's go with round three finish. Round three finish. Bye. TKO or sub? Let's do submission. Round three submission for the Korean zombie, Chan Sung Jong. I just can't wait to see the kid fight, man. You know, it's yes. one time since 2013. All right, a couple final thoughts on UFC 230. First on Jared Cannonier. And we could spend in most of these fights, Kenny, as much time talking about what it means for the loser as it does the winner. Because for David Branch, I really feel for this guy. It is remarkable yep. what he was able to accomplish outside the UFC to earn his way back, not just winning two belts in another promotion, a major promotion at that, but defending both of those titles at 185 pounds and 205 pounds. Had Luke Rockhold on the ropes in what had been his only UFC loss in this second stint prior to what happened Saturday night. And now for the seventh-ranked David Branch, it all goes away. Almost impossible for him to get to a UFC championship situation at this point when you lose as a minus 500 favorite to Jared Cannonier. And maybe he shouldn't have been that big a betting favorite, but he was supposed to fight Jacare Souza. Instead, he gets Cannonier. 
And man, did he get Jared Cannonier, Ken Flo. Your thoughts on, on Cannonier's middleweight debut Saturday night? Well, obviously, I like Cannonier at 185 pounds. I think he's in the right weight class. Um, he looked absolutely gigantic and ripped uh, oh it, uh, on Saturday night. And uh, unfortunately for David Branch, um, you know, fighting at home, it could be a blessing and a curse. And you just saw this kind of. Um, tightness in his body he seemed a little nervous as he walked out on Saturday night and um, you know I thought he had a great first round it, it was you know I thought he he mixed in all of his skills well in round one but still you kind of got this sense that he was still trying to figure it out and he was still a little nervous and still a little hesitant after Cannoneer was able to get back to his feet on a few of those uh, takedown opportunities and um yeah, I mean, he was kind of watching his work a little bit. He'd land a combination, kind of would drop his hands and look to see if Cannoneer was hurt, and that really concerned me because Cannoneer is tough as nails, man, and he returned when those hands dropped and, and really hurt David badly. Um, and for David, who came in with a lot of momentum, when you look at his last 13 fights, I think he was like 12-1, and one, his only loss being to Luke Rockhold. Um, he really could have done some big things. He would have put his put himself in a great position to maybe right. fight for the belt at some point in 2019. That is all gone after this knockout loss to Jared Cannonier, who um, I think will inject even more um, interesting things into this division. He's a guy that could make a run himself. I mean, if Branch beats Cannonier, it's not out of the realm of possibility that they rebook the Branch Souza fight as the co-main event right. for Whitaker and Gastelum, right? And now that fight is certainly not going to come around again. But the bigger story is Jared Cannonier, and you do get to know these guys a little bit, Kenny, as we do on the road. And this is a guy who who worked for the FAA for a long time in Alaska while he was a pro fighter. Only left his full time job in May of 2017, moved his entire family, three young kids, to Arizona, and has put all his faith in John Crouch, Benson Henderson, and the rest at the MMA lab. And, and how about these results? He wasn't even supposed to fight until November 17th. And that was really my only concern going in was this guy's bumping up his first middleweight cut. He didn't do a practice cut. He's got to make 186 pounds two weeks prior. Mm -hmm. Comes in 184.8, leading the league in just six, eight packs. It just, I mean, literally yeah. cut out of fucking stone. And then he turns in that type of performance. I don't think he got a bonus. Maybe he did. Um... Maybe he did get a bonus. I'll have to look that up. Let's see. Did he get a fucking bonus here? I don't know if he got a bonus. But either way, huge win for Jared Cannonier, yes. Father, family, man, and I'm very excited for him. All right, last thing on, on Daniel Cormier, maybe just to provide a little bit of historical context because the legend now reads 15-0 and as a heavyweight in mixed martial arts. And now that he has defended the title, Kenny, people are starting to talk, talk about him, even though maybe he fancies himself the greatest of all time, and I think there's an argument to be made. In terms of the heavyweight division, okay, forget about John Jones. And In terms of his heavyweight legacy, mm. I think most people still believe on Cain Velazquez's best night that he's the best heavyweight they've ever seen. Some people will still make an argument for Fedor Emelianenko, who maybe didn't have a, a prime that was aligned with the prime of the sport necessarily, mm -hmm. but Cain, Fedor, DC, Randy Couture, maybe honorable mention, I mean... How do you think DC stacks up in the pantheon of great mixed martial arts heavyweights? I mean, one of the greatest of all time, regardless of weight classes, but this is a guy who's undefeated at heavyweight in, in, in a division where um, one slip 
uh, one zig when you should have zagged and yeah, uh, a bunch that could go wrong. Uh, this guy is absolutely flawless in this division. So uh, there's no doubt in my mind he's one of the greatest heavyweights in UFC history, perhaps the greatest. Uh, and I, again, people were saying that about Stipe Miocic. Well, he knocked out Stipe in, in round one. So I, I think he probably can lay claim to that. Um, he's been extremely consistent uh, in that division. He's beaten a variety of very elite fighters. Um, yeah, he, he could be very, very well, uh, the, the greatest heavyweight I've ever seen. Stipe, Josh Barnett, Bigfoot Silva, Frank Mir, Roy Nelson, and of course, most recently Derek Lewis, but, but what a year for Daniel Cormier and we couldn't be happier for him. And he's one of our best friends, so we didn't bug him this week, but he's probably going to be on the podcast next week. We haven't talked to the big man in a while. Just want to give him a little bit of time to breathe here on the Monday after a big win. All right, final thought. I'm not sure if you saw the UFC 232 press conference this weekend. Cyborg, Amanda Nunes, John Jones, Alexander Gustafson. But even if you didn't see it, I can tell you there's legitimate heat on both of these fights. I don't know if Cyborg and Amanda Nunes are ever really going to be able to bury the hatchet and get to a good place, right? Cyborg hmm. just seems frustrated at the way Nunes has allowed this fight to be delayed a little bit, even though I can defend Amanda's decision to try to mathematically get herself in a position to defeat Chris Cyborg. But then with Jones and Gustafson, I mean, this is this is real, right? Like, this is just, this is a, a great fight. Most people think the greatest fight in UFC light heavyweight history, if not one of the best UFC fights of all time. And yeah. in six weeks, Kenny, they're going to close the octagon door behind those guys. So pretty exciting to see that press conference. And, and I thought it really gave UFC 232 a whole lot of momentum leading up to December 29th. I'm genuinely excited about both of those fights. Obviously, the Gustafson-John Jones fight, uh, their first one was an absolute classic. One of the best fights I've ever seen. Um, that was the first time that we really saw John Jones uh, truly tested. That was the first time we saw him get taken down. Um, Gustafson will always be a tough matchup for John Jones. Um, you know, obviously there was the talk that John Jones maybe didn't prepare uh, at his best for that one. Uh, but you could see just style-wise, the way that Gustafson moves uh, with his power, his speed, his ability to mix things in with those takedowns. Um, John Jones was struggling. And, and it's rare that you see a guy who moves as well and is as big as Alexander Gustafson. And Jones, a big part of his game is that reach and his ability to touch guys from the outside and mix things up. Well, Gustafson kind of threw that game right back at John Jones. So I think we're in for another classic. Um, and for Amanda Nunes and Cyborg, I think these are the two women who can actually beat the other. I don't think there's anyone else who can really challenge uh, the other. So this super fight is much needed. Um, it, it's it's a women's fight that I've been excited for for a long time. I was asking for this fight for a long time. It's finally going to happen. I truly think that both of these women uh, believe that they can beat uh, the other. Um, and, and I think these women need this as far as status yeah. and legacy uh, to truly kind of um, become legends uh, in this sport. So uh, I, I can't wait to be there. I will be there live for it. Uh, in Vegas, and uh, I'm excited for that one. John Jones, I got to say, was very impressive at the press conference. He was um, very present. He was very calm. He was very yeah. composed. Uh, he was firing right back Ale at Alexander Gustafson, who I thought was pretty good on the mic himself. I He's agree. usually pretty quiet. Um, so these guys do not like each other. Neither does Cyborg and Nunes. It is legit. They're not trying to hype up the fight. So uh, I always love that. My excitement for Cyborg Nunes trumps certainly how excited I was for Ronda Rousey, Holly Holm, or even Ronda's return against Amanda Nunes. I cannot wait to see 
the two best women's mixed martial artists of my lifetime, Amanda Nunes and Chris Cyborg, get in there and throw down. And I say that with all due respect. I say that with all due respect to the UFC women's strawweight division, Rose and and Joanna and everybody on down. So in terms of, and this I promise is the last thing, but the betting line for Jones and Gustafson. You thought John won the first fight, correct? I did. I I thought he, he, uh, yeah. And I agree with you. And I I I actually think you and I are in the minority, right? But Mm -hmm. we both thought John Jones did enough late to win that fight. So John is minus 300 and Alex is plus 235, right? Mm -hmm. And I just felt like given how close their first fight was, that if Alex opened around plus 250, plus 240, that some bettors out there, since you you are betting a number and not a fighter, would fire on Alex. I I mean, maybe it's properly priced with John Jones as a three-to-one favorite, but uh, I don't know. Am I crazy to think that that this is a closer fight on paper and that we have the potential, even though – John, in theory, will be in a better place in terms of the training camp behind him. I think it's not a pick em fight, but I thought mm-hmm. John would be, you know, minus 160, minus 180, not twice that. I agree with you, especially given that both guys are coming off kind of long layoffs here a little bit. John Jones having to deal with a lot. Um, I, I think maybe one thing that is being thrown into the equation on Alexander Gustafson's side is perhaps the fact that he has had to deal with a lot of injuries. He's dropped out of a lot of fights. Maybe that's what's playing in uh, yep. to their mindset, uh, perhaps. But, um, yeah, I am a little surprised because that first fight was extremely close. And I do think that regardless of whatever happened on John Jones and in his training camp leading up to that fight, I think that uh, – Gustafson has a style and has a body and and has a mindset that is always going to be a difficult matchup for John Jones. And as we said last week, it's actually Gustafson who will have the longer layoff, hasn't fought since that headliner against Glover Teixeira. All right, we got to get out of here. Thanks to the crew for staying late a little bit today. We're back again next Monday. We'll have a recap of the Denver show. Also look ahead to what will be the UFC's first jaunt to Argentina. Main event there, Neil Magny versus Santiago Ponzinibbio. All right, with that, for Ken Flo, Ray Longo, the whole Fox Sports crew, John Anik, thanking you all for listening. We will reconvene in less than a week. Until then, remember, and still, your 2018 World Series champions, the Boston Red Sox. <laughs> Yo, fucking later. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. Sports betting is sweeping across the country faster than the coronavirus, and wagering week is your antidote. I'm Tom Martin, and I'm a veteran sports analyst and respected sports handicapper who helped build ESPN's brand. I've been recognized and awarded by Pro Football Weekly and Gaming Today magazine as the honest handicapper. Let the other guys give you the same old boring sports talk with the same tired storylines. We'll give it to you straight here every Friday on Wagering Week. Don't gamble with other podcasts. Let Sports Garden Network's Wagering Week help your bottom line.